Joshua Kagi from The Christian Citizen, and this is Justice, Mercy, Faith. In this episode, the Reverend Dr. Elijah Brown, President and CEO of the Baptist World Alliance, joins Christian Citizen editor Curtis Ramsey Lucas for a conversation about the work and mission of the BWA. Here now is Curtis Ramsey Lucas with Reverend Dr. Elijah Brown. I'm pleased to welcome to the podcast the Reverend Dr. Elijah Brown. Elijah is the president and CEO of the Baptist World Alliance, a position he has held since January 1st of 2018. He has a passion for the gospel and for the promotion and protection of human rights and religious liberty. Elijah, welcome to the podcast. Well, it's an honor to be with you, Curtis. Thank you to you and to all that you are doing. So you've been involved with the work and witness of the BWA long before you became its uh, general secretary. Tell me a little bit about the history of the BWA and your own involvement with it. Well, the Baptist World Alliance was formed in 1905 in London, England. It relocated its offices in the 1940s to the Washington, D.C. area in order to avoid one of the aerial bombardments that were going on during World War II in London. And about six months later, the Baptist building in London was destroyed, and we've been in the Washington, D.C. area ever since. Today, there are 241 Baptist conventions and unions that are part of the Baptist World Alliance, networking together 47 million Baptists around the world. Uh, And uh, it's just been a life-changing joy to journey with the BWA and see how the Lord is at work, even in the midst of a pandemic, in so many places around the world. So the pandemic, um, the BWA has gathered since its beginning, um, roughly every five years. It's been a couple of years uh, during during uh, World War II and, and other times when that didn't happen. And you became uh, General Secretary in 2018 in the run-up to the 2020 uh, World Congress plan for Rio. Uh, being new to the position, what was it like having to postpone that event? And uh, what is the status of the gathering for this year? It was a difficult decision to postpone, most importantly for our Baptist sisters and brothers in Brazil who had been working for years to welcome the Global Baptist family uh, into Rio de Janeiro to celebrate with them. But even as difficult as it was to transition the 22nd Baptist World Alliance Congress to a virtual platform, we see the hand of the Lord at work. Today, roughly eight weeks prior to the next Congress, we have over a thousand registrants from 101 countries, and we're working really hard on that. We believe that this virtual Congress will be the most globally diverse gathering of Baptists, not only in the history of the Baptist World Alliance, but perhaps the history, the 400-year history of the Baptist movement. So this will be a remarkable opportunity for all of us to gather together, especially on that Saturday morning, July the 10th, as we share in communion, every Baptist in their own home, 
in their own context, gathered in their own churches, some of them coming together, but in 101 different countries plus, simultaneously taking communion together as one world church. What are some other shifts that uh, BWA has had to make in response to the coronavirus pandemic? Early last year, we immediately launched a Standing Together Global Response Plan where we made available emergency aid grants to all uh, Baptist uh, bodies around the world. And in a span of about six weeks, we sent 132 emergency aid grants to Baptists in 82 different countries. More aid grants uh, sent uh, than at any other comparable point in the 100-year history of Baptist World Aid. Uh, We launched together the BWA Forum on Aid and Development to bring together more than 25 different Baptist aid agencies to create collaboration and connection and strategic engagement. And together, in those opening months of the coronavirus pandemic across all these different Baptist aid agencies, more than one million lives were directly touched uh, because of Baptist response to the COVID crisis. We all also launched in the middle of this crisis a new partnership with the 21 Wilberforce Global Freedom Center in order to enhance our religious freedom monitoring and engagement around the world. We know that in times of crisis, human rights and religious freedom often faces significant challenges. So we wanted to be prepared and to continue to respond to these many challenges around the world. Human rights and uh, religious liberty have long uh, been an area of concern for you personally, uh, professionally, and certainly for the BWA as an organization. Um, Both of those are on the line in Myanmar. Uh, uh, BWA recently hosted a solidarity weekend for Myanmar. What are some of the activities you are encouraging and how is BWA continuing to respond to the situation there? There are 1.7 million Baptists in Myanmar with a profound legacy thanks to American Baptist churches uh, stretching back 200 years. Last year, the Myanmar Baptist Convention was the second fastest growing Baptist convention in the world. So here we have a very significant growing Baptist population in Myanmar, which is under incredible pressure and threat due to the actions of the coup in February of 2021. And certainly not the Baptist alone. We've heard multiple stories of medical professionals which have come under fire due to uh, their protests of the military coup and their engagement with human rights and democracy. For example, we have heard that in some instances, the Myanmar military has followed those who have been injured in the uh, democracy protests to hospitals and shot into those hospitals in order to try to kill those who are caring for the injured and the injured themselves. In March of this year, around 10.30 p.m., a convoy of 15 military trucks with more than 60 soldiers arrived at the gates of the Baptist Seminary in Myanmar, pounding on the doors, demanding immediate entrance, going room by room through all the dormitories, searching for one of the professors who had been a proponent of human rights and democracy for all. Now, fortunately, that professor 
alerted and she was able to literally escape in the middle of the night by hiding in the jungles and then becoming, unfortunately, a displaced person. The situation in Myanmar is very very grave. 25,000 people plus have been displaced into the eastern jungles of Myanmar in the Karen state. So the Baptist World Alliance with all of our many partners have been deeply engaged in this issue. We've sought to provide aid, including providing food and temporary shelter for 3,000 of those individuals who are displaced in the jungle. We've been engaged in a, in a wide range of advocacy initiatives, especially with our partner, American Baptist Churches USA, and the incredible work that they're doing in this area. We've met with United Nations officials. We've sent more than 100 letters across Washington, D.C. to a variety of congressional offices and to the White House. We've met with a number of other um, individuals who uh, have the opportunity to raise their voice on behalf of the many who are suffering. And of course, our concern is not just for Baptists alone, but for all who are suffering in Myanmar, including the Rohingya Muslims who have continued to face the realities of a genocide. You mentioned uh, direct aid to uh, Myanmar. What is it like uh, at this point trying to get that aid into the country? It is difficult. The banks have been closed in Myanmar. Uh, Increasing restrictions are being enacted by the military as they try to wall off their country from outside engagement. Uh, However, with uh, 1.8 million Baptists and uh, many others who are around who are people of goodwill, there are still ways and opportunities uh, to ensure that uh, those who are suffering on the front lines know that they are being supported by the rest of the world. One of the ways that um, BWA focuses its work is on what you call countries of concern. How do you define a country of concern and what is the focus of BWA's work in such places? Curtis, thank you for that question. I often get asked, well, what is the average Baptist? And sometimes we're surprised to learn that so many of our global Baptist family do face very significant challenges. So we asked this question, we asked, where are the Baptists in the world who face the greatest amount of hunger, the greatest amount of violent conflict, the greatest amount of religious freedom challenges, and the greatest struggles in livelihood, defining uh, livelihood here as uh, average income, life expectancy, and education. So we asked, are there any Baptists in the world who simultaneously face these challenges? After we created a a very unique index, looking at all of those different areas, writing to our regional representatives, getting input from around the world, we determined that there were nine countries where there's a Baptist body that simultaneously faced the greatest challenges of hunger, livelihood, violent conflict, religious freedom challenges. Together, these nine countries have 13 million Baptists. 27% of all global Baptists face the most significant levels of hunger, violence, persecution, and challenges in their livelihood. So we're asking, can all of us as a Baptist community come together and stand with these Baptists who are living in vulnerable contexts? Now, some of these Baptist bodies are themselves quite strong. 
but they are all ministering in the midst of contexts of great vulnerability. We could use as an example here, Nigeria. Nigeria is one of the world's largest Baptist conventions. They have some of the most thriving seminaries. Their impact is literally felt around the world as they raise up and train theologians and church planters and missionaries and commission them across the continent. And yet at the same time, last year in Kaduna State, 105 Baptists were killed by terrorist activities. Two Sundays ago in Southern Kaduna State, a group of terrorists broke into a Baptist church, killed one of the members and kidnapped that member's wife and three other women and are holding them ransom today. So Nigeria reminds us that while so many of our Baptist churches do have incredible vibrant witness, that vibrant witness has lived out in the context of great vulnerability. So can we come along and stand with them together and in aid and advocacy in prayer and in learning? We have much to learn from these, our sisters and brothers. According to a recent um, Gallup poll in 2020, uh, 47% of Americans said they belong to a church, synagogue, or mosque. And that's down from 50% in 2018, 70% in 1999. Um, those trends are even more pronounced in Europe. Um, but that's not the case in Latin America. It's not the case in Africa or in Asia, where we see explosive growth of the Christian faith. Tell me about the growth that you're seeing within the BWA family. In the last 10 years, the global Baptist family has grown 29%, but this is different region by region. So in the last 10 years, the Baptist family in North America has declined 6%. In Europe, it has declined 3%. But in the last 10 years, the Baptist movement in Asia has grown 20%. In Caribbean, it has grown 48%. In Latin America, it has grown 41%. And in the last 10 years, the Baptist movement in Africa has grown 134%. We are living in the midst of the greatest global expansion of the Baptist movement. Now, we may not always feel that in our own particular context, but this is the story of what the Lord is doing all around the world. Uh, just over 220 years ago in 1800, only 3% of the world's population lived in cities. Today, 54% of the world's population lives in cities, a number that is expected to increase to 66% by the middle of this century. And according to a United Nations report, urbanization combined with overall population growth could add another 2.5 billion people to urban populations by the middle of this century, with close to 90% of that growth in Asia and Africa. What possibilities do you see for BWA, and other Christian organizations to respond to this growth in population, um, not only the growth in population, but its concentration in these sprawling urban areas. Well, we're 
we're reminded that, as has been often observed, the Bible itself begins in a garden but ends in a city. We see this trend all around the world in these mega cities, which are developing. The vast majority of these mega cities are in the Asia Pacific region, uh, and a, a significant portion of those mega cities have no Christian witness in them at all. Now, these mega cities have outsized influence on culture, on politics, on finances, and together they form a very significant way for us to engage. We need all of us to consider how do we create strategic mission initiatives that focus on these mega cities around the world, which in some cases have less than 100,000 Christians anywhere in that entire country. And in some of these situations, there are even a smaller numbers of Christians, much less Baptists. So you were right, Curtis, to call our attention to these mega cities. It's also a reminder that so many of us grew up with church structures that were really geared towards rural or or suburban environment. I myself grew up in a very small rural village in central Texas. When I graduated from high school, I was living in a town of less than a thousand people. Well, that no longer defines the reality for the majority of people around the world. So it requires us to creatively shift our thinking in the ways in which we engage church, and in the ways in which we talk about how the Lord raises up ambassadors for his kingdom in every segment of society. I often think about Jesus's uh, prayer uh, that he taught us to pray, uh, his kingdom come, his will be done, as it says in the great gospel of Matthew, on earth as it is in heaven. Well, what do we know about what's going on in heaven. Well, in heaven, we know that everyone has a relationship with Jesus Christ. So when we're sharing the good news of Jesus Christ, we're living according to heaven. The Bible says that in heaven, there are no tears. So when we are engaging and alleviating those elements that cause suffering in our world, we are engaging in building the kingdom. We know that in heaven, there, there is no hunger. So when we're engaging in those areas of our society that end famine, that end hunger, that provide well-being, even in the middle of the deserts of some of our cities, we are working according to the kingdom. Doesn't doesn't Jesus say, I'm going to heaven to prepare a place for you, a place to live? So when we when we are living today to build affordable housing, to think about our architectural structures, the way that we engage in our, in our cities and our societies, we are living or we have the opportunity to live according to the values of the kingdom. So Curtis, as we increasingly enter into these urban environments, we need to release the whole church to live out the whole of the gospel in our societies today. When you consider the suffering of Baptists in Myanmar, persecution and lack of religious freedom in so many places in the world today, not only for Baptists, but for all people of faith, what gives you hope that the future might be brighter than the present?
I find I find my hope in Jesus Christ. We celebrate the resurrection, but the resurrection is not possible without the embrace of the crucifixion. And I hear the angel's words again and again in the garden, which says, why do you look for Jesus among the dead? He is resurrected. And so, Curtis, for me, I, I, just, I just find in Christ this powerful reminder to embrace suffering, to embrace grief, to embrace sorrow, to embrace death, and yet to not allow those elements to define reality, but to know that in the midst of those truths, there is a greater truth at work in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I find hope in Jesus's resurrection And I find hope, and if I'm honest, conviction in the testimony of so many individuals who have journeyed that road and who have so much to teach us. I will never forget being in Nigeria several years ago and interviewing a woman who'd been captive, uh, captured by Boko Haram. And she described that pretty horrific situation and how she escaped one night with her child clinging to her back as they climbed a fence and ran and escaped. And at the end of that interview, we asked her this question. We said, is there one message you would like the church outside of your area to know? And in particular, one of our members said, is there something you'd like the church in the United States to know? And this is how she responded. She said, would you tell the church that I am praying for them, that they would never know these challenges that we have faced here? Now, if sisters and brothers who have been held captive by terrorists are actively praying for us, can we also actively pray and stand with them? Elijah, I want to thank you for your work and your witness and for taking the time to be with us today. It's an honor to do so. Thank you for all that you are doing. You can learn more about the work of the Baptist World Alliance at baptistworld.org. For more on the situation in Myanmar, read Crisis in Burma, A Rough Road to Democracy and Freedom, a statement of the American Baptist Church's Burma Refugee Commission at christiancitizen.us. While there, be sure to subscribe to our weekly newsletter featuring stories about justice, mercy, and faith. Thank you. At The Christian Citizen, we're passionate about justice, mercy, and faith. We produce award-winning content that is provocative, timely, and relevant. What started 25 years ago as a print-only publication is now a digital-first, multi-platform media brand. 
we've added an award-winning weekly e-newsletter, this podcast, and a growing presence on social media. Now, for the first time, we're adding a member support program, Christian Citizen Ambassadors. Learn more about how you can support our work at christiancitizen.us slash members. Thank you to this week's guest, the Reverend Dr. Elijah Brown. Our theme music is Eye of the Beholder by Fabian Tell. The Christian Citizen is edited by Curtis Ramsey Lucas and is a publication of the American Baptist Home Mission Societies. The show, website, and newsletter are produced by myself, Joshua Kagi. Stories are copy-edited by Hannah Estefanos. Our art director is Danny Ellison. The Christian Citizen editorial board is Dr. Jeffrey Hagrid, Laura Alden, Susan Gottschall, Dr. Jeffrey Johnson, the Reverend Salvador Oriana, the Reverend Dr. Marilyn Turner Triplett, and the Reverend Cassandra Carcuff williams And our advisors are Sherilyn Crow, the Reverend Kimberly Payton Jones, the Reverend Stephen D. Martin, the Reverend Marvin A. McMichael, and the Reverend Harold Dean. To learn more about The Christian Citizen, visit our website, christiancitizen.us. That concludes this episode of Justice, Mercy, Faith. Thanks for listening.